Listen, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I think my, my wife, I think Trish is with the kids, so I think she wanted to take somebody else's place. She said, I've heard him so many times, I don't need to hear him again. Uh, and that's kind of the nature of our relationship. We've been married for 43 years. I've got four children and uh, eight grandchildren. And my youngest hasn't started breeding yet, so I'm, I'm anticipating more grandchildren as the, the time goes on. Um, in, my own, in terms of my own background, and I'm saying this uh, just simply because I'm going to be doing some teaching this afternoon and this evening and into tomorrow rather than preaching. Uh, and uh, I'll be you know, unpacking some of the scriptures using a lot of Hebrew. I have a, I have a graduate degree in Hebrew and Greek. And so, and I was, uh, I have an undergraduate degree in linguistics. So I've like always had this deal where I love to get into, you know, the languages and what's going on in the texts, uh, both in the Old and New Testament. We'd be dealing with the Old Testament. So I, I just kind of wanted to give you that as a little bit of a, a, a pedigree so you know I'm not pulling this stuff off the top of my head. Is that okay, everybody? All right, good, good. I'm trying to, I, I'm, I'm doing something. It's going to be interesting to see if it works. I did about an eight-part series in our home church uh, within the last six months called uh, uh, Joseph, The Life of Joseph from Dream to Destiny. And uh, it was an eight-part series. I'm trying to distill that down here for you all, or as, as they would say in Texas, for y'all. Um, we don't say that in Pennsylvania. You know, we, yeah, we, have, you know, we have a strong Irish population, so we say for yous, you know. Um, anyway, for, for, for you all use you, uh, uh, I'd like to try and distill this down to four modular units. What I mean by each teaching, I hope, will stand on its own. But if you're here for all four sessions, you'll see a, a, a very definite progression through the four sessions on the life of Joseph. Isn't Joseph wonderful to look at? I mean, what a dramatic character in the, uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and I see, oh, my goodness. Okay, I'll get that after this session. Thank you so much. I, I came and, I, you know, I completely forgot that I have a, a plug that you guys don't have. How's that? So this sister was so kind to be able to get me something to make this thing function. But I think I'll get through this on my battery. How's that? All right. I call this message, and I guess if I push this, I get into the, oh, you've already got it up. The arrogance of dreams. Because Joseph was a dreamer, was he not? Now, what I'm thinking, as, and what I felt as I was praying as to whether to pursue this or maybe something else from the New Testament, uh, uh, was, was along these lines. You, we all have dreams, and I'm going to define very specifically what I mean by a dream. But, but when I say that word dream, it, it resonates across a group like this. Ambitions some of which are from God, maybe some of which are from God and me, maybe some of which are I'm not sure of. But we have those things in life that tend to define us, tend to try and take us uh, uh, where we feel like we need to go in life. Joseph was a dreamer. Matter of fact, both Josephs, Joseph in the New Testament and Joseph in the Old Testament, were dreamers. So in this first message in this series, I want to talk about the life of Joseph as a dreamer, and I want to kind of parallel it to, to, to us. Um, uh, we either forget or never recognize in the first place that the accomplishing of Joseph's dreams uh, lands the people of God as one more family of famine refugees in Africa. Did you ever think about that? It's, you know, most of, how many here are familiar with the story of Joseph at some level? 
just about everybody. I'm leaning on that pretty heavily in order to distill this down into four sessions. So most of you, think about that. We, we tend to never recognize in the first place that the accomplishment of the dreams that Joseph has, that we're going to read in just a moment, land the entire people of God in Africa as refugees. That's really interesting, I think, isn't it? And so the fulfillment of dreams very often has has a, a resonance that we're not anticipating when we dream the dreams in the first place, all right? And our dreams, if our dreams are from God, can take us to places that we never anticipated. I want this next, through this next four sessions, I would like for us either to begin to dream some dreams or if we've had dreams that have not been fulfilled along the lines of, of uh, Richard's prophecy this afternoon that God wants to unstop some things, that God wants us to break through, I'm really anticipating speaking life to dead dreams because we're in the, in the business of resurrection. Our God is a resurrection power God, right? I mean, Paul at the end of his life said, look, oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That's a real thing. That's where we want to go through this series. So our dreams, if our dreams are from God, can take us to places where we've never anticipated. And that is where we aim to go in this series from Dream to Destiny. Now, the title of this message is The Arrogance of Dreams. And I'm going to argue that our dreams are rarely, are rarely only from God, but usually our dreams are a mix or a confluence, or a coming together, a flowing together of what we would like and what God really intends. How's that? I've been pastoring for over 30 years, and when I see people dreaming dreams, usually there's a little bit of us in them, and there's a little bit of God, hopefully a lot of God. So I'm going to ask us just to begin at the beginning, and we're going to begin together by reading in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. This is the story of Joseph. How about if I do a running commentary? Is that okay? All right. Now, verse 1. Now, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. Verse 2. These are the records, or it could be translated, these are the events of the generation of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth. And now, the Hebrew word here for youth also means an apprentice or an assistant, all right? So that gives you a little idea of Joseph's pecking order with his brothers. While he was still a youth or an apprentice or an assistant, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, two of Jacob's concubines, his father's wives, and Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. The Hebrew word report here suggests that it wasn't just an incidental or haphazard story. In other words, Jacob was relying on Joseph to report to him as to the condition of the performance of his brothers, all of his brothers being older than him, many of his brothers being much older than him. All right, verse 3. Now Israel, that's, jo that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons. Well, that's not a good situation, is it? All right, And because he was the son of his old age, and he made him, some of your Bibles say, a coat of many colors. The, the Hebrew says a very colored tunic. It's a specific word in Hebrew, and it was a long paneled garment, garment that in royal circles was the sign of a prince. So Jacob is communicating something not only to Joseph, but to all of his brothers as to the status 
in Jacob's sight of this young boy, 17-year-old named Joseph. And this, so this robe is a status sign. And it's a statement by Jacob saying that this kid has a future in this family. But I don't know about you other guys, all right? Jacob was the favorite of Rebekah and therefore hated by Esau, his older brother. And he swindled his way to the promise. And now he's setting up his son to do the same thing. You know what we set up our kids to do, to, to, to follow our own problems if we're not careful, all right? Or how many of you ever heard your father speaking through you, though he may be passed on years ago? You say something, he said, I swore I'd never talk that way. And now I'm, anybody here ever do that? That kind of thing's going on here. Verse 4, I, when Tricia says, I sound just like my mother, then I know, she, you know, I know she's, she's having problems that day. Anyway, verse 4, she's not here, so I can really goof on her anyway. All right, that's why I sent her to be with the kids. I can talk about her now. Verse 4, so his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Do you get the impression we've got a dysfunctional family on our hands here? All right? All right? Verse 6. So he said to them, I'm sorry, verse 5. Now, here it gets, the plot thickens. Then Joseph had dreamed a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Well, why? Verse 7. The, the Hebrew says, behold. And when, when we see the word behold in, in the Old or New Testament, you know what it means? It means check this out. You know, we need to behold what's being said. In other words, there's an underscoring, an underlying. So I always say, my, one of my congregation, when I say, what does behold mean? Everybody says, check it out. So check it out. Verse 7. This, this is Joseph's dream. We were binding sheaves in the field and check it out. My sheaf rose up and also stood erect and check it out. You get the picture that Joseph wants. He's, he's, he's getting really under their skin. Check it out, check it out, check it out. Behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Three times in the same sentence, Joseph is emphasizing who's the big daddy, even though he's 17 years old. All right, verse 8. Then the brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. It wasn't just that he dreamed. He had to talk about to them, talk about it to them especially. You there? Now, I question the wisdom of that. How about you? It didn't witness to them, all right? Verse 9. Now he had still another dream. And God is in this thing, isn't he? I don't know that we could say that God is in the, 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 uh, the inciting of the hatred of, of his brothers for Joseph, but God is in the dreaming of the dreams. How Joseph handles the dream has to do with arrogance and the way we dream as people. Verse 9. Now he still had another dream. Double dreams in the scripture are always a sign that one dream, what one dreams is really going to come to pass. That you find those doublets all through scripture. Remember when Joseph dreams about our Joseph, the, the father, the, the Joseph, the, the husband of Mary, who daddy's Jesus, he dreams two dreams as well. It's two dreams is, is uh, and you'll find out there are double dreams all the way through the story of Joseph. So double dreams means that what's, they're from God and what's going to happen is really going to happen. So 
All of Joseph's dreams come in double dreams. So, back to verse 9. Now, he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, behold, check it out. I still have another dream and behold, check it out. The sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to moi. Huh? To me. All right. Who's the, now in all these dreams, who's the center of the dreams from Joseph's perspective? Himself, yeah. We're going to find out as these dreams begin to explode and implode and move on that the center of the dreams moves away from Joseph to God. That's what dreams from God do. So verse 10, so he related it like he wasn't in enough trouble. He goes and tells his father. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow down before you to the ground? And what makes of Jacob really incredulous is that Rachel, Joseph's mother, has already died giving birth to Benjamin. So the bowing down has spiritual dimensions. That's, you have to understand the chronology here. Verse 11, we'll close here for this session. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. All right. Now, there's nothing more wonderful, uh, brothers and sisters, than a person who is impassioned by dreams from God. I love that. I have had dreams in my life that were fulfilled. I have dreams in my life from God that have not been fulfilled. I know when I say the word dream that Joseph's dream was literally a sleeping event. But how many of you know some of the dreams that we have aren't necessarily sleeping events? So we need to define through this conference what we mean by dreams. And we're going to do that in a second. But there is nothing more dangerous than a person who is convinced that those dreams from God are all about them. Huh? You see the difference? And so I'm certainly not opposed to people, especially young people, having dreams. These kids right up here. I hope you guys have dreams for your life. All right? Yet in the 21st, at least in 21st century America, there is a feel-good media culture that essentially lies to people, especially younger people, about their dreams, and it influences how they conduct their lives. Our culture suggests to us through advertisement, through media, through movies, and through stories, that if we can dream a dream and work hard, we're entitled to that dream. Hello? I mean, how many movies have you seen that told you and your kids you're entitled to the dream? How many times as a pastor do I, ha- do I deal with a, a, a younger guy, a younger gal, who had a dream for their lives that they really believed from God, but, but it, it was really centered on them. They were going to be some famous videographer, cinematographer, a football player, a musician, rock star. And, you know, they postponed life in order to pursue that dream because it's, it's scratching some itch for significance in their lives. And the truth is they're not entitled to that, no matter what Hollywood says. Are, are you with me on this? I mean, how many of, you know, as a pastor, matter of fact, I've, I've had, I don't know, I've had at least three or four guys who made it just this close to what we call the big dance in sports and baseball. The big dance is to make it to the major leagues. And, and the walk up is difficult, but every step as you get closer, the competition's stiffer. And, and they got there. It was really interesting because the one guy was an all-American and never made it to where, where he wanted to play, never made it into the big dance, and ended up, finally, 
he was uh, because he was an All-American. He was in a uh, Princeton University, so he he was qualified to do all kinds of other things in his life. But the dream got in the way of what God had intended. And when the dream finally came to be fulfilled, it was totally different than he'd ever imagined. Have you noticed that? This is part of the story of the life of Joseph. And for a while, he could never watch another baseball game again because the dream was about him and about baseball rather than God and God's purposes for his life. So, now, that doesn't mean the dream isn't from God. It's how we interpret and walk out the dream, okay? Okay, so I have pastored a lot of people who've been dispossessed of their dreams because of our culture. Uh, let me give you a couple of quotes regarding chasing your dreams. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, you guys get Oprah over here, right? She said, you got her, regrettably is right. You can, she said, you can have it all, just not all at once. That's not true. That is not true. But it's a, it's a mantra in the media. It's a mantra for young people. You there? You know? Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, some of you know who that was. It was an American intellectual in the, 19th century said, dare to live the life you have dreamed for yourself. Go forward and you make your dreams come true. That's not true. Yeah? And it's heralded in quotations and in books and those. See, these things aren't true. Here's some things that are true. Florence King, the, pro, the, the, the uh, Nobel Prize winning uh, novelist said, people are so busy dreaming. I'm, I'm going to use the American dream because that's where I'm from. People are so busy dreaming the American dream, fantasizing about what they could be or have a right to be, that they're all asleep at the switch. And consequence, consequently, we are living in an age of human error. That was an interesting thought, you know. Uh, uh, George Carlin is a comedian that I, that I wouldn't recommend, but I never thought I'd use a quote of his, but it's so true. He said, some people see things that are and ask why. He said, some people dream of things that never were and ask why not. He said, but some people have to go to work and don't have time for all that. <laughs> that's where I'm at. You know, I, that's true. That is true, you see. So you can tell I'm not a motivational speaker. You know, you got Dwayne in if you want a motivational speaker. <laughs> he, Dwayne's a real close friend of mine. Am I saying we shouldn't have dreams? No. No, but I am saying that carrying a dream for my life in the wrong way can be harmful in that it, it's an obstacle to the purposes of God. Because it's not about the dream, it's about the character of the dreamer. Are you there? I mean, and this, this is something Joseph had to learn. So, yes, so, so we need, need to ask biblically, what is a dream for my life? What, where does it come from, and, and what do I do about it from a biblical perspective? And then what are the pitfalls? So a dream is this. Uh, that was George Carlin. Some people see things that are and ask why. Some people dream of things that never were and ask why not, and some people have to go to work and don't have time for all that. I love that. It's going to be on my wall in my office or something. All right. A dream, a GHDD just means Grobleski's handy-dandy definition. Is that okay? Because I, I like to define what I'm talking about. That's what I do. Okay, a dream is an imagining of myself that comes from God, that motivates my pursuits, brings me to the destiny that he desires, and dreaming, biblically, is a way of hoping. Huh? Okay, in this sense, we're all supposed to be dreamers. Yeah? 
That's what this conference is about. We, we humans, you realize this, we humans differ from every other conscious or sentient life form on the earth in that we can each imagine an alternative reality for ourselves. Yeah? You know, I can, I can imagine, you know, I can imagine a, an alternative reality that I'm going to be, uh, a conductor on a, on a, a the, Edinburgh train someday, you know, or I, whatever it might be, I, I can put myself in another place. A dog can't do that, you know. A dog doesn't chase its prey and think about what it will taste like at the end. It just does it. Are you there? You know, a bird doesn't think about, uh, uh, alternate destinations. It goes where it's instinctually going to go. Are you there? These are sentient or conscious life forms. But human beings, we were built to dream. And we were built, what is it that David says? Dream the dreams of Zion. We were built to dream the dreams of Zion, to dream the dreams of God. And that imagination can motivate us. It can motivate us for good or it can motivate us for bad. We can dream in faith for a future. And we were created to do that whether we were, whether we're young or old, because some dreams are long-term and some dreams are relatively near future. I was preaching in France um, a, a while ago and, and I was preaching in the south of France and I noticed this woman who was in her 70s who was, uh, who was assiduously over the course of the conference, uh, you know, just studying this book and using flashcards. And I had to go up to her and say, you know, what gives? You know, qu'est-ce qui se passe? And, and she says to me, oh, I'm learning to speak Arabic. I said, how old are you? She said, I'm 77. I said, whoa, why are you learning to speak Arabic? She said, because God told me to. <laughs> I said, but do you have any ideas? She said, I'm going to minister to Arabs. Why else would I speak Arab, learn to speak Arabic? And I thought, you know, wow, like, is this woman going to Algeria or something like that? Turns out I went back a short time later and found out that she picked up a job in Marseille where she was uh, ministering, you know, physically to, to, to patients there. But the bulk of the people in that particular hospital were North Africans who spoke Arabic. And pro- pro- probably she wasn't fluent, but it gave her a portal into the lives of people who needed to hear the gospel in something like their own language. That's a 77-year-old woman with a dream. Yeah? My, my 89-year-old mother-in-law... Uh, is on her way to the UK in a couple days because she wants to go minister at Bethel and she'll be doing that. So, so young and old people have dreams. We were created to be dreamers. Uh, I have a, a cousin who's a Christian, good gal. She's, she, she always dreamed she'd have a husband. She was re- she was 68 years old, never married. You know, and they used to, in, in olden times, they used to say, that's a spinster. That's a, that's a bad word to use in America today. But but the point is is that she she had she harbored that dream. When she was seventy, she found the man of her dreams. She's been married now for four or five years. They traveled the world together, and at seventy, the dream was fulfilled. It's the timing of God is difficult to understand sometimes. But we were birthed in God to dream. We were constituted to dream. We are constituted to dream. Okay. All right, um, you got to move along here. Um, 
When we carry a dream for our lives, it is usually a confluence, a, a flowing together of what is from God and what is from us. And this has to be ferreted out. It has to be discerned out. Few dreams, hear me on this, are pure. Joseph's understanding and recounting of the dream was both from God and Joseph. And the content was from God, but the understanding of what the content meant was from Joseph. Shall I say that again? The content of the dream was from God. I mean, those dreams would be fulfilled. The sun and the, and the moon would bow, and the stars would bow down to him. The sheaves would bow down to him. But certainly not in the context that he had t- taken them. Are you there? And so when God inspires us, it's usually difficult to ferret out what is God and what's me. But it is that journey that transforms me. It transforms us. And this is why dreaming is important. Okay, This is why imagining is important. This is why getting the Holy Spirit into our lives to inspire us. It's an important thing. So while Joseph later proves himself gifted by God to interpret dreams, here Joseph's use of the dreams show that his interpretation of what God is saying is really his ambition for himself. Huh? You know? I mean, it's interesting. He later he can interpret all kinds of dreams, but right here he can't interpret his own. All right. So we can ask the question is Joseph so self absorbed and naive that he doesn't think because his dreams are going to get a rise uh, uh, contempt out of his brothers, that, that he moves that way. Or because they already hate him, is he's just sticking his thumb in their eyes. Either way, it doesn't really matter, because it doesn't look like this is going to end well for Joseph, does it? Huh? Yeah? <laughs> How do I know the extent in which my dream is from God and the extent in which my dream is from my ego? Yeah? You use the word ego here? Yeah. How do I know how much is ego and how much is God? How, how do I know if, if it's a preoccupation with myself? The extent to which I yield all my expectations to God rather than myself is the extent to which God can then drive the dream. Huh? Am I, am I connecting? Yeah? Yeah? This is a, this is faith. Man, oh man, this is faith. This is real faith. Can I point out that Joseph never yields, at this point, his revelation of his dream to anyone? Not even to God at first. Huh? It's just good stuff for Joseph, yeah? I want to do that. I want to have that, you know? He declares it, but he never interprets it, yeah? After all, if, if it comes from God, it's a done deal. It's a fait accompli, yeah? You know, that's what he's saying. Why should authority or family get in the way of a dream that came? Why should my church get in the way of a dream that God gave me? Yeah? That's really interesting. I see this stuff all the time as a pastor, yeah? You know, where are you going? I'm moving to Maine. Why are you moving to Maine? Because God told me I was going to be an anointed lobster fisherman. I'm out of here. Well, you know... You know what I'm saying? It's, I get this stuff, you know. Now, I, I believe in ambition. I believe in all, but I, but I believe there's a humility that this stuff needs to be, 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 be processed with, okay? All right. Uh, it is God who keeps his part of the dream going on, and the part that is Joseph's along the way ends up being all flesh. 
Joseph didn't dream the dream so that he should accomplish it. Even when the dream seems to be absolutely impossible to happen, it's the dream itself in God that keeps working. Yeah? You know, if it's God's dream, it's going to work, you know. If your dream is from the Lord, there are times when you got to let the dream work for itself. And Joseph is faithful to the dream, but the dream is more faithful to Joseph because in the end, it's God's dream. Yeah? Dreaming, the dream has a power of its own when it's from God. Yeah. I, when I was, when I was a young guy, my dream was to be a missionary to France. Trisha and I both. So I, I, why I learned to speak French. Well, that's a negotiable term. I can sort of speak French. Anyway, uh, but I was conscripted into the job, you know, when this church started, we had a, we had a, uh, uh, a powerful campus ministry and the, to make a very long story short, most of the kids were getting filled with the Holy Ghost. We'd send them back to their local churches in those days, and they were all either dispensationalists, didn't believe in the gifts, or, and they couldn't thrive. They couldn't thrive. So we decided we needed to start a church, and so we started a church, and I was thinking, get this thing started, and I'm out of here. I'm, you know, I'm off to, uh, I'm off to Paris, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, we, we did all the, the work that we needed to do to, to, in order to get on the field, but as the church thrived, it soon became apparent that that I had this dream and it wasn't going to come true because I was being conscripted into the church, which I'm still pastoring 30 years later. What's really interesting about that is I submitted. I was on my way out. And I submitted, Trisha and I submitted our lives to two apostolic figures, two authority figures in our lives, and neither of whom... We're in cahoots with each other. We're talking about it to one another. And we said, look, this is what we believe saying, what we, we feel God saying. Is it okay if we're out of here? And both of them said, no. You know, both of them said, you're missing this. You're missing what God's doing in your life. And this church is getting raised up. If you leave, it will, it will capitulate. And through, you know, I, I would love to say, I said, oh, thank you, Lord. I, I do that all along. You know, I just, but through gritted teeth, we got back into what God had called us to. And somehow the, the gritted teeth turned into a smile and we, we got on to, with God's work and we ended up planting churches in West Africa, which are French speaks, French speaking. Churches in Haiti, which are French speaking. And I ministered in France lots of times, ministered sometimes with your dad, uh, who speaks French. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, the, the fruit, of what I'd wanted to do, the accomplishing of the dream, was radically dissimilar, but better than I could ever have imagined because it produced something in me and in my character. And I have other dreams like that, some of which haven't come true, some of which have. But but you catch the kind of spirit of what I'm talking about. And so the, the church the church superseded superseded my need for significance in another arena in my life. That doesn't happen anymore. I'm, I'm gonna do what's gonna provide significance for me. You know, forget about what I'm committed to, forget about service, forget about those other things. And it's, it's contrary to the whole spirit of serving throughout the Gospels. It's that kind of a deal. Alright, where was I? Get off on these rabbit trails. Alright. Alright. So, as God causes us to dream, when life becomes more visibly difficult, here's the deal. All the more is God invisibly working through the dream, yeah? Uh, the two verbs in the dreams that Joseph has are to rule and reign. Remember he said, 
rule and reign. But the purpose of the dream is not to make Joseph rule and reign. All right? What Joseph is to do is not the purpose of the dream. The purpose of the dream is to feed people and keep them alive. To keep refugees in Africa alive. Similar to today, yeah? The purpose of the dream is to save people, you know? Egyptians as well as Hebrews. How about that? Egyptians as well as Hebrews. The purpose of the dream is to heal a very, very dysfunctional family, which is the family of God, Israel. That's the purpose of the dream. The purpose of the dream is to secure the relationships among the people of God. The purpose of the dream is even to forge a new nation that we see today all 2,000 years later in Israel. I mean, that's pretty fantastic stuff from a 17-year-old kid dreaming a dream. Huh? This is what God's dreams do. This is why I love dreaming and dreamer. Dreaming and dreamers. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The extent, we're closing now. The extent to which the dreamer's heart is for the good of others is the extent to which our dream becomes empowered in our lives. When we finally get away from ourselves. And boy, ah, this just, this not only runs against secular culture, it runs against church culture. It runs against everything that's in humanity that says, I need to be significant, you know, but you become significant in God. I just, there was a guy who I admired, I still admire him greatly, who, who fell into moral failure years ago, 30 years ago. And, you know, his whole life had capitulated around him. He had the dream of building a big church and, and, uh, and he came under authority and all the rest of them, but, but he was, he was, you know, one day he was in the limelight across the nation and the next day he was persona non grata. Use that phrase here. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I was, you know, I, I was at least close, close enough to him to know that one day, a prophet came to him and said, you pick yourself up and quit feeling sorry for yourself. Your dreams aren't dead. He said, you know, now you have to be careful because how many people go into moral failure and three days later they move to Texas and start a new ministry? You know, I mean, because you can do that in America. All right? But this guy, he said, you stay under the authority of God and watch. He said, God says he's going to make you less known among men but more known for him, you know, more known by him, you know. And over a 10-year period, that happened, and he ended up establishing a fantastic church. And he's later in life, he's, he's older now, he's almost retired, and he's had a, a tremendous run at ministry. And I just think, isn't that interesting? The dream came true when the dream came true because of God's knowledge for him rather than his profile before the world. You know, although his profile before the world came back, but it, but here's the deal: what came back was a character that was worth being profiled. You know, it's that kind of a thing. All right, my brothers and sisters, Joseph's imagination at this point in our story is all about him becoming the head Hebrew in charge, right? H H I C, head Hebrew in charge. God's imagination for Joseph, however, is the forging of a family into a nation, and feeding a starving world. I believe dreams work that way today as well. So before we go into the next session, 
I just ask you a couple questions. And, you know, you can reflect on these or I can maybe get them to, to Richard if you want. Maybe one question will just kind of pop up for you personally. And it's along these lines. What dreams from God do you currently harbor in your life? You know, really, you know, uh, you know, um, everyone with a dream has had to struggle with setbacks. Everyone with a dream has had to struggle with disappointments, misunderstandings of the dream. We misunderstand them. Others misunderstand them. Under, misunderstanding what God intended. Uh, can you just think through if any of that process has gone on in your life? Did your disappointment become disappointment with God himself? Or did it become disappointment with yourself? You know, Because these are things that dreams do in a bad way. Because we want to address this over the course of the next few sessions, okay? Remember that dreaming, above all, is a way of hoping, all right? And uh, I think I'll leave it at that. I've given you a lot to ponder. We'll have our break, and then we'll come back and pick up the story. Is, is that okay?